So I farm so hard, the employees wanna find me And then wanna hire me What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy Working late nights, you best believe me My grades can only go ace Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z Farm so hard, let's get paid Welcome to another episode of Farm So Hard. Today, we have the pleasure of talking about transitioning from residency to practice, managing the excitement and expectations. And today, I'm joined by a special guest who will introduce himself. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me, Jimmy. My name is Kyle Holtz. I'm an emergency medicine clinical pharmacist at Yale New Haven Hospital. I did my graduate school training at the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and then moved on to my PGY1 and PGY2 in emergency medicine at Yale. And then uh, kind of just found my home here for the last couple of years. Absolutely. For you guys that are new, um, your host, Jim Pruitt, completed my PGY1 at Florida Hospital Orlando, then moved on to finish uh, PGY2 in emergency medicine at Grady Health System down in Atlanta. All right, guys. So let's just move into the questions. So why did you choose to do pharmacy? For me, it wasn't so much as my choosing of the profession of pharmacy as I felt like pharmacy kind of almost chose me. So my original path into undergraduate school wasn't so much focused on picking pharmacy school as it was, I was really interested in playing college soccer. So I got into this division two school in Ohio, who just so happened to be opening a pharmacy school the same year that I was starting as a freshman. And in line with my passion to play soccer, I was able to get into this program. Long story short, I ended up transferring from Ohio back to Pennsylvania, where I'm from, finished pharmacy school there but really found my passion in emergency medicine during an internship and then stuck with pharmacy. Absolutely. And I have a similar path where I played football at Presbyterian College. And one of the key things for recruiting me was going to go to play football and to go to pharmacy school. And I remember my coach coming to a recruiting meeting with me and my mom. And he said, you know, Jimmy, we're about all the, the F's here, you know, faith, family, football, and, and pharmacy. I <laughs> just <laughs> Coach, it's not, it's not spelt that way, but I, I get what he was trying to do. And that definitely led me to continue pharmacy. And I had a few mentors in high school that kind of challenged me to think beyond football and want me to consider something else, a plan B, if it, if it was that. And pharmacy was something that I considered myself to be passionate about early because it combined some of the skills of math and science at that level. But me being able to impact people and help in pharmacy is definitely that for me. Again, so why did you choose emergency medicine? Even better question. One of the things for me was I didn't know what avenue of pharmacy I was really interested in. I kind of knew this, hey, it's going to be a good job. Hey, it'll use your skills in science, math. That's what I was told. But going through the program, I was like, man, I don't know if I really want to stick with pharmacy. Maybe I'll go back to med school or something else. But ended up doing this internship, like I mentioned before, uh, this small rural hospital in Pennsylvania. I was fortunate that they offered me the ability to pilot this med history technician program in the emergency department, just getting patients home meds, and then being able to directly interact with both the, the pharmacists that were in the emergency department, and then these attendings and nurses and this diverse staff and team. I was able to see how much of an impact even myself as an untrained P2 in pharmacy school could make on a patient's care plan. Seeing that I was called the pharmacy there on this blood thinner and the patients got a hypotensive event that they weren't necessarily suspecting a bleed. They were maybe working up for sepsis. And then the direction of that entire care plan completely changes. It was just so motivating. It's so gratifying to make that impact in the patient's life. 
but also to see that I could have this multidisciplinary interactions that were at the next level was just amazing. That locked me into emergency medicine right away. Absolutely, Ben. I have a, a similar issue. When I went through pharmacy school, I was like, well, you know, I can do this. Maybe I can do retail. Maybe I can do these different things. But I never had anything that was like, oh, this is definitely for me. And thank God for Derek Clay, who's still my mentor at Spartanburg Medical Center down in South Carolina. I spent one hour with the guy and I was like, you go to codes, you mix antibiotics, you have this relationship with the team. And I, I think it was the culture of the emergency department that really sold me a culture of inclusion and diversity and just just doing whatever it took to take care of the patient. That really sold me. And I, again, I knew at that standpoint that I was going to be an emergency medicine pharmacist. And that was going to be the key thing that kind of propelled me through my career, just being able to have a culture of helping and having interdisciplinary interactions and just doing whatever it takes in the high stakes situations. So we kind of talked about why pharmacy and emergency, emergency medicine, but how did pharmacy school prepare you for practice? So I would say pharmacy school prepared me with the ability to perform the basics of being a medical practitioner so well that you could focus on doing those higher level activities. And what I mean by that is think back to those soap notes that you wrote, working out patient cases, sitting around a table, talking about disease states with your colleagues. It's not necessarily all that clinical information that you became so good at. It was being able to think critically, assess what's in front of you, pick out what's important and put the stuff aside that's not as important in a story. And then being able to synthesize that information into a bigger picture and then applying that to the patient case. So that now that I'm an emergency medicine pharmacist, it's not so much of me thinking about, oh, I got to really pay attention to everything that's going on. Basically, what's happening is you're letting your instincts and your training take over and understand the basic information that's being presented to you. And then you're able to start doing all those other things that are maybe more important, picking the next drug, setting up a pump, priming a line, so you can be ahead of what's already going on because you're processing that basic information faster than what you thought you would be able to. Yeah, that definitely goes to the, the cognitive load theory where you have all this information coming at you and being able to have that foundation kind of just set in stone allows you to kind of pick up this more new information and make it customized to doing what you have to do in the ER. Because I, I'll definitely say there is no other environment where you have to customize things in a such a rapid time frame other than in the ER. And I think it's very key to have those foundations in place so you can, again, think at that higher level. So pharmacy school kind of helped us understand that component. What did residency do for you and how did residency prepare you to be the practice at the level that you are now? I would say this, and I think it's true almost any residency program, regardless where you go, residency training is next level. Nailing some of these clinical, high-level thinking, understanding disease states, mechanism of drugs. Of course, that's really important. But for me, it helped knock off some rough edges. The big thing for me is becoming a better communicator, being able to approach things from a bunch of different angles, understanding where people are coming from, and being able to read between the lines, whether that's their words, their facial expressions, their body language, being able to grasp that and become a very integral part of a multidisciplinary and diverse team can be super difficult. But if you build those skills and you spend that time during residency where you're working in internal medicine, AM care, critical care, management rotations, 
all these things that may not have been my passion, which is emergency medicine, but they're so vastly different. It makes you a better team member because you're able to approach things from a variety of different ways to be more successful instead of maybe that one way that you learned on how to present a patient or how to present a recommendation. Now you're able to do it in a way that matches the person you're presenting to, the patient that you may be handling. I think that residency was the, that was the big thing I took away, knocking off rough edges and becoming a more well-rounded individual. Yeah, all of those things were definitely key. And one of the things that I think residency prepared me for and just adding, you know, PGY1 and PGY2 is being able to defend what you believe in mm-hmm. and being able to do that in a quick manner. So this study says this, this patient population was this, this is exactly. So how I kind of tell when I have students coming with me is how to apply this information to the patient at a higher level. And my key phrase that I always use is from the brain to the vein. And mm-hmm. it's getting it there, you know, getting all the information you can from your brain. And what I think the pharmacist being what I call a, a medication influencer, getting that thing that the provider wants into the patient in the safest, most effective manner possible. And I always tell my students, how can you get this from your from the brain to the vein? It's not just say, okay, I want, you know, we should give this patient vancomycin and dosin. Okay. What order are you going to do that in? What dose? Do we have enough pumps in the room? What access do you have? All these additional things that are not on pen and paper like it was in pharmacy school and really just getting the information all the way from that component to the actual patient. I love that. That practical knowledge, implementing not only what you're speaking, but actually going and doing it. I love that. That's awesome. And I think that's something that's unique to the, to the ER, just knowing that Whatever your recommendation is, you have to make that happen. And, you know, depending on your state laws and institutions, I was in a position prior where, you know, in critical situations that the things I recommended, I was priming, doing and administering myself. So it wasn't enough to just know what it looks like on paper. You, you really had to be able to go from what you thought all the way to get the patient. And when you administer medications in critical situations, you do a very good job of understanding the monitoring parameters. Mm-hmm. So that was something that was, was phenomenal. But kind of to take a turn from there, what was something that was unexpected that occurred after you started practicing? So I was uniquely placed into a position where I was able to start my independent practice a couple months before uh, my residency ended. And I think one of the biggest things that really hit me right in the face was, you're that person now. You are the go-to expert for drug management in your area of respective practice. You're no longer the trainee. You're no longer the person that gets to say, oh, I'm going to go ask my preceptor this. You're now that person that if you make a recommendation, you make that answer. So for me, it was handling drug shortages, drug information questions, starting Suboxone or buprenorphine prescribing in the ED in a state that may not have had that before. I'm not an expert in a lot of these things, but then you have to be able to know how to handle those situations, navigate the red tape, and work through those problems that face you on a daily basis. And I think that I didn't really grasp how much of that would be presented to me as that emergency medicine and clinical pharmacist. But I couldn't say that I love it any more than I do right now. Being that person and having that influence is absolutely amazing. And I couldn't ask for a better unexpected thing to happen, but it's been pretty cool. Yeah, and some of the things for me coming out was how something being standard at one institution 
being not the standard at a, in a different one because you get to saying, hey, this is what we always do. This thing, you know, we consistently do this. And you go from a different institution in my situation. And it's like, wow, OK, this is completely foreign to these people here or some information they have is completely foreign to me because I never had that. Another component was like how patient population can vary greatly, even being, you know, I'm two hours from where I did my residency training and the populations are completely different. I'm at a level one trauma center, academic medical center. Again, all the things that I was looking for, which is very similar to where I trained, and these patients are completely different. And I just think that is amazing because the things that you became very good at and what I call mental reps, having mental reps in COPD exacerbations or asthma. And now I have pediatrics. You know, now I have all these different patients that I have to kind of be involved with that was different. And lastly, I would definitely say the biggest thing was I did not expect to be in as many meetings and committees and all of the things that are like outside of the actual ER, being involved in those and how much time that that takes. It's a significant amount. And I definitely credit our preceptors and everyone that's involved in administrative activities. It is a, a drain, but it's very worthwhile. And I realized that you have to go from the top down to get things done. And that was something I didn't expect to be as important or as influential in my day-to-day activities. Ain't that the truth. I love what you hit on there real quick, that when you're talking about going from one institution to another, as someone who did all their residency training and I worked at the same place, it may not feel like I had that experience, but looking at all the appies and my internships and seeing how different places do different things, the foundational part of that though, is if you are able to practice evidence-based medicine, you're going to end up with the same treatment and you're going to end up in the long run with the same outcomes. So I think that's one of the coolest parts about transitioning to a practitioner is that we're kind of all practicing based on the same literature, which is really awesome. Yeah. And there's so many ways to skin a cat, of course, and, and there's evidence to support doing those different things. So it's always interesting to see how different providers want different things. One of the key things that I saw was just something as simple as starting propofol infusion. Where I came from, we would start low and then titrate up rapidly currently where I'm at, they just start right at 25. And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> this is, uh, <laughs> this is different. You know, <laughs> we, we're getting there and the amount of hypotension and things that I see doesn't change as much, but I thought it was very interesting that the providers are saying, okay, let's just go ahead and start right here at 25 or start at 30 for this patient. And we can titrate down if we have to. And that was pretty interesting. So what was one of the biggest challenges when you're transitioning from residency to practice. And even, you know, you had an earlier start, but what was one of the biggest challenges that you had? I would say being able to say selectively the word no. I'm a person, and I think you're right along there with me, that any opportunity that gets presented to you that sounds interesting or cool research, you're probably going to be gung-ho and want to jump on board. And one of the best pieces of advice that I was told by one of my mentors, Eric Tishy, was in your first handful of years of practice, always be a yes person. And I think that's a really good piece of advice. But another one of my mentors, Marie Renauer, said, if you're always a yes person, how are you going to be able to do quality work on the things that you're actively involved in? And I think being able to balance that, stay gung-ho, stay very passionate about getting involved and doing those things that are above and beyond what you're expected to do, but making sure that you prioritize the things that are most important to yourself. What are you passionate about? What are things that your department and institution have as objectives and goals for the year and kind of itemizing those and being able to say, I can handle this much on my plate right now. And maybe this is something I say yes to in six months, or maybe this is a no, but maybe someone else is in a better place to handle it. 
I think that was one of the biggest struggles I had initially. So my work-life balance wasn't great for a couple months. But as I continue to prioritize and understand my bandwidth, uh, I've been able to become better at that. But it's definitely still something I work on on, on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I agree with you. One of the key things is just I still get, you know, slack from some of my old co-residents and some of the providers that I work with. And it's like, Jimmy, when are you going to, you know, calm down? When are you going to relax? And <laughs> it's tough. And, you know, for me and everything that I do, I try to make sure I do it hard. And that's kind of. I just go try to go all out. And sometimes you can't do that because burnout and mm-hmm. burnout in emergency medicine is real. And my RPD last year, John Packer, he would just cut me off. He was like, okay, Jimmy, you can't do any more projects. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, nope, you got you to gotta stop here, complete all these things and go from there. And he told me during my first three to six months, don't take anything on. Like just sit back and build relationships. Mm-hmm. That has been a huge challenge when transitioning because I'm so used to having MUE, a research project, all these things like ready for me to do as soon as I get into a new place and not having that thing up front has been challenging. And, you know, there is two pharmacists that started at my institution before I got there and they have all these things. And part of me is like, hey, I should be doing that too. I should be doing these things. I should be involved in these things. I should be involved in more committees. But at the same time, understanding that building your clinical practice, building your practice site and building relationships is more important now because if you can kind of build off those things later on when you get those projects, it'll be a lot easier. So that's been a huge, huge challenge for me. Mm-hmm. So speaking of this, what was like the first project that you worked on after getting done with residency? So the first project that I got involved with here was rolling out our critical care transport team. So a lot of institutions, I'm sure you have something similar to this. There'll be either a helicopter or some type of inter-hospital transport system where you may need to take someone to a higher level of care. So as someone who works at a tertiary care center, we get a lot of transfers from rural community or even some smaller but maybe large hospitals that end up coming to our facility for specialty consults, surgeries, interventions they may not have been able to get somewhere else. So this project that I, we started was what happens when that helicopter can't fly? So we started this ground transport team. But as you know, these patients come in on drips, vasopressors, micartopene. They may be sedated on paralytics. And all of these people that are providing that transport are old nurses that have gone into EMS, got paramedic backgrounds. And they technically have to practice under, at least for Connecticut state law, under very distinct guidelines and protocols. So our health system developed these advanced protocols for all of these high-level care patients. And it was a really cool experience to be able to be an expert voice, as I guess you could call it, on developing these protocols and telling them how to dose medications, what would be an alarm, what would be a normal response, and then giving those lectures to the people that are running this critical care transport program. And seeing that get underway and having patients now being delivered to the ED has been just such a cool experience. And I think it's pretty novel in regards to pharmacist involvement and fielding questions and being that kind of go-to person when they're out in the field and they need to call in and talk to a physician or get a pharmacist recommendation. It's been a really awesome project and I'm kind of really, really proud of it. Yeah, that sounds very cool. And again, that's something that everyone kind of have something similar, but it seems like you guys have a formalized process that has things going. Uh, one of the first things that I looked at, even though I don't supposed to, we have medication history technicians down there and we have some issues as far as getting information from different facilities. And I have some co-residents and some people I went to pharmacy school with that work at these other sites and just trying to 
increase the communication and facilitate getting the information more quickly for our medication history technicians. It's been the first thing and I'm hoping to kind of hang out on that for a little bit until my, you know, my three months run out and then gather some more information. I spoke briefly of it, but do you still keep in contact with some of your co-residents or people from pharmacy school? And how does that go for you? I've had a fortunate experience, again, like I said, to be able to stay at the same institution where I did my residency. And as a large health system with, I think, five delivery networks at this point, we are able to retain a lot of our residents. So a lot of those people I invested in relationships for a year, two years, still are in the same hospital or within our health system or even really close by in Boston or in New York. So I get a chance to kind of bounce ideas off of them or spend a weekend away from New Haven, hanging out with some of those friends. Most recently, just got to go to a wedding in Orlando for one of my best friends. She did a Disney wedding, which was amazing. All like our core group of pharmacy friends got together. So seeing people in real life and getting to experience life with these people that I, you know, some of the hardest years that you'll ever go through in, in graduate school. Um, it's just really cool to see them being successful, moving on into marriage and these like life events that you now, you invested in all that difficult time studying, but now you get to see those benefits of just life coming to fruition. And it's really cool. Yeah, that's been phenomenal. And I think you guys have the largest residency class. And when I was at Florida Hospital London, we had 20 PGY1s and that was a phenomenal experience. And it was a tough program and, you know, definitely rigorous, but being able to see these individuals and come back and spend time with them and some of the PGY2s that are now administrators and have additional fellowships and things like that, being able to kind of communicate with them outside of the hospital has been phenomenal. Every time I go back home to Orlando, I just like to meet up with them. And it's been great to kind of see them. And even for people who just got done with PGY2, just in this short time period, not being in residency, not being on call has been phenomenal and just been able to relax. It's been a, a great experience. And I've been able to kind of stay in contact with majority of all of my co-residents over the last few years. So that's something that definitely like, these people are for the most part, from what I hear, these are lifelong friends now. There's a absolutely that happened. And, you know, these are going to be your friends for the rest of your life because you probably went through one or two of the toughest years of your entire life together. And, you know, those things, you just don't forget that. Absolutely. So the key question, if you could go back to residency again, would you do anything differently to prepare yourself for now? I love this question. I hate it at the same time. One, I love it because it causes you to reflect. And I think reflection is one of the most important parts of any experience that you have. But the reason I don't like it is I like to live my life without any regrets or trying to think of, well, if I made that decision at that point, something in my head made me make that decision. And that's not to say I can't grow from it, but I'm so thankful for the experiences I have had. So I try to take it as more of a reflection. If I could change one thing though, hmm, I'd probably say I wish I took more advantage of the people that were mentors. Because I think it took for granted how a lot of people hang around and maybe work in the same areas. But then there's a lot of change in pharmacy. People work in a position for three to five years and then move on. And I can already think of two really important people to me from my experience, uh, Ken Owusu and Lena Saliba, who were our critical care and heart and vascular senior specialists, just wealths of information. And they've moved on to these awesome new roles either within the health system or at other large academic medical centers. And I know that I always have lifelong mentors in both of those individuals, but they're not in my day-to-day practice anymore. And I think I wish I would have taken more advantage of people like them and understanding that they're not always going to be here for me to bounce ideas off of, shoot them a quick text or run down to their office. 
So if there's one thing, one piece of information I would give to people is take advantage of those pillars of pharmacy within your department while they're there. Don't take them for granted. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. And the only thing I can kind of add on to that is the fact that it's focusing more on other rotations and those rotations that mm. were required that you, you know, you would rather be in the ER and some of those other rotations are very different. But I, I would like to focus more on those because I joked about it a good bit when I was actually in PGY2. Emergency medicine is the specialty of every specialty. And I remember when I initially was looking through for a pre one residency, I was kind of terrified of oncology and pediatrics. And that was something that I kind of, I wasn't strong at, didn't have a great experience at. So I wanted to kind of shy away from those areas. Now, again, I'm talking about those different patient populations. I see a lot more of those. Mm-hmm. I definitely see a lot of peeps now. And granted, I did a few rotations in PGY1 and PGY2. It's still, I would love to have done a little bit more in appies and then more, and just focus more on those rotations. And then I don't think you can ever read enough, but I would just read more on those other disease states that wasn't the exciting ones. Like we can mm-hmm. go all day on cardiac arrest and <laughs> heart failure, alcohol withdrawal, all those things that are just eyebrow razors. But some of the more simple things like gout, you know, the things that I see often in the ED, I wish I could have read a little bit more on those things. And I think it kind of could have prepared me more. So I would just keep PGY1 broad and really do everything like you're going to do that for the rest of your life. And I think that's something that was that was key. And as, as we wrap up, do you have any advice for current students and residents that are interested in emergency medicine? I think you just nailed it. And I had a similar motto when I was thinking about emergency medicine during my PGY2 year. A lot of people do a PGY2 and you become 100% good at one specific thing. The coolest part about emergency medicine is that you need to be not the best expert in every field, but you need to be somewhat of an expert in everything. So I basically tell everybody, you're now taking a PGY2 and you're becoming an 80% expert in 100% of the fields. So what I would say is what you just hit on is make sure when you're doing your appies or you're doing your PGY1 year, you hit all of those other areas and you try to be as broad and see everything that you can. Obviously, you want to show your interest. Uh, I think as a PGY1, you got to have that emergency medicine rotation. You want to nail that. You want to crush your critical care rotation so you can have great recommendations and letters. If you're pursuing something that's an internal position, uh, you can show that you're competent in those areas. But outside of that one or two experiences, make sure you do all the other things. See transplant, do an oncology rotation, get involved with your management team. Understanding how process and decision-making works will make you a better project leader. It'll make you a better pharmacist when you're done that PGY2. So doing a broad amount of rotations and experiences will make you a better practitioner. It'll also make you a better candidate as you pursue that PGY2 or that first job following your emergency medicine PGY2. Absolutely. I, I can't really say anything more to that. Just always go all out. And again, going the way that I remember when I was doing my emergency medicine rotation, I really went after it. And with critical care, I really went after it. If I can go back, I would definitely just put that same level of intensity in all of my other rotations and finding a way to be organized. There's a tons of books out there. There's tons of different ways because at this stage, sometimes you were able to get away with not being as organized as a student, but as a mm-hmm. practitioner and as a, as a resident, you can't. Your time is limited and you have to be organized and just always try to do a little bit more. Push yourself because what you get out of all of this is what you put into it. And mm-hmm. the one thing I feel good about, especially for PGY2, and I can say for PGY1, I'd really try to 
do everything. And my co-residents always give me slack, you know, for always <laughs> doing the most. And But it feels good at this point to say I really put into it what I wanted and I feel pretty good about where I am now. But the key thing is like, I know that this learning curve is going to always be there and I have great mentors. So get, get some great mentors, as you mentioned before, and just do everything and let them guide you because they've been through this. My mentor, John Packer, was ER pharmacy for 15 years. And he's definitely taught me a ton. Um, Derek Clay, Asanya, and Jim and OT, all those people from Florida Hospital, they've all taught me these things. So get you some mentors and kind of go from there. And as we wrap up all of this, do you have any additional comments about just transitioning from residency to practice? The one last thing I'd love to add is stay true to yourself. If you have things that you're passionate about or you love doing, obviously we're both passionate about emergency medicine. We love pharmacy. We love our jobs. But there's a lot more to life than patient care, <laughs> living in the ED and doing all the pharmacy stuff. So if you're still passionate about football or cutting back to myself, you're still passionate about soccer, find ways to make maybe even those relationships in the ED kind of broaden into your other interests. So for me, it's being on a soccer team, going out with my buddies. New Haven has a great uh, restaurant atmosphere. Love going out to dinner with my old co-residents and new co-workers. Stay true to yourself and find those things that you enjoy and are passionate about outside of work. And it'll make your time at work more enjoyable. Absolutely. So just to wrap up everything we've talked about today, some of the key things is knowing why you like to go into a pharmacy and kind of understanding there are many different paths to get there. Some people go into it because they know they want to do it. Other people, you know, pharmacy just chose them. With emergency medicine, the same thing can happen. Understanding that the, the benefit of being emergency medicine is that it's a very diverse group of people and diverse group of patient populations that can help you from there. And understanding that pharmacy school is there to really set you up for having foundations so you can build off of all of that. And when transitioning, there are some unexpected things that may happen, whether you're being that new practitioner and everything falls on you, or you're going to more meetings than you ever thought you would. And understanding that what you see at API, PGY1, PGY2 may be greatly different from what you see once you actually become a practitioner. Stay in contact with your co-residents, guys. There are going to be some people that carry you through all your career and help you prevent burnout and, and focus on doing everything you possibly can. Having a broad variety of rotations as you're doing residency, definitely go all out and be organized. And just, again, like you say, have great mentors and do everything you can to put yourself underneath them and listen to them. As we close out, I thank you guys for listening to another episode of Farm So Hard. Definitely check out the website. And again, do everything you guys can to please today. This is JP. And always remember to ATD. Heck day, guys. Bye.